Make sure you check out our online store where we work with our graphic designer to create stunning garment and product designs that feature a wide variety of aircraft types such as British fighters, World War II aircraft, American bombers, Russian fighters and much more. You can pick your favourite designs and personalise any items within our Redbubble store that range from clothing right the way through to stationery. All of our designs feature our logo so you can show your support for the channel while getting a quality product. You can head to our website aircrewinterview.tv and click store or go to redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash AC interview. Thank you and enjoy. So Nitin, when did you first become interested in aviation? Oh, well, I was a very small child. I was about six years old and there was a daddy's friend who used to fly uh, little airplanes, those air observation post airplanes and helicopters then. And he used to come and hover around our house and drop me chocolates. <laughs> and once in, a while, once in a while I used to go down to Nasik Road, that's where the flying was done. That's near Devlali in uh, Maharashtra, where I used to go down and have a look at these airplanes. So that's the time maybe the first seeds of aviation were kind of put into me. Absolutely. But my so, father was in the, from the army okay. and he always wanted me to join the army. And there was a lot of pressure when I decided to join the NDA in the aviation, I mean for the, for the Air Force. And uh, everybody around tried to pressurize me and say, no, no, you must jo join your dad's regiment. Wow. Um, that's, uh, you'll get a parental claim to your regiment. So, but I said, no, I want to fly. So that's, I went the other way. Absolutely. And what year did you actually join the Indian Air Force? I joined Indian Air Force in the Dece on 21st December 1984. Oh, you actually remember the exact date. <laughs> of, course, of course. Who forgets the date when you get your wings? Uh, absolutely, yeah. So, did you always want to become a helicopter pilot? Oh, there's a long story to it, but I'll keep it short. <laughs> uh, I always wanted to become a fighter pilot. And we, were all, we, we flew at the fighter training wing in Hakim Pet, that's near Hyderabad. And when we used to even look at a helicopter or a transport plane, our instructors used to say, nothing doing, you're going to join the fighter, don't even look at those aeroplanes. <laughs> and so we, I had my choice was fighters, fighters and fighters. Three choices I had to give. I had given fighters, fighters and fighters. Unfortunately, and I did well in my flying. Uh, it was not that I didn't do well in my flying. And in that year, there were no vacancies uh, for fighter pilots. There were only four vacancies. So only four of our 20, uh, 37 guys went to fighters and the rest went, uh, majority of us went to, uh, to helicopters. And uh, so that is how I landed up in helicopters. On the first day of my commissioning, I put up an application saying that I don't want to go to helicopters, I want to go to fighters. But then um, after I started flying the helicopter, I realized what a, what a machine it was and what all it could do. And within six months uh, of flying, I decided, uh, with my application, I withdrew it and I said I would like to continue in helicopters. Absolutely. Uh, but obviously, the helicopter is so, you know, diverse. So how many roles and communities were there in the helicopter community in the uh, Indian Air Force? In those times, you know, um, the only two communities existed in the Air Force. One was the normal helicopter pilot and one was the attack helicopter pilot. Mm -hmm. There were only two classes of, uh, because the attack helicopters right. had just come in 1984. And uh, the rest of the helicopters were doing all the kinds of jobs that a helicopter does. 
even firing from the helicopter to uh, to you know uh, lifting patients to doing search and rescue to sea flying to what have you so um, india is a very diverse country you know you get to fly in deserts mountains uh, over glaciers over the seas so all that was available to every helicopter pilot so wherever you got posted the kind of roles that that particular unit did we had to get on to those roles so it was never a particular role that we were on so what happened was because i had put up this application for attack helicopters they took cognizance of the fact that i wanted to fly uh, you know a um, uh, machine that could fire an, uh, an offensive machine so so called so uh, they made sure that after i got onto twin engines uh, that was a me 17 me 8s that i flew for a couple of years they uh, put me onto attack helicopters so that they tried to kind of uh, give me a uh, you know a parallel to for fighters that i wanted to join a so that's character. how uh, <laughs> yeah so 1988 uh, 89 uh, that was just about 5 years 4 uh, and 4 years into service i was uh, moved on and I, i was told that now you're going to join attack helicopters and there was there I was in patan court i was posted to patan court in 1989 nice And yeah, let's just move back a bit. But yeah, let's talk about some of the helicopters and aircraft you actually started training on before you went to your frontline uh, aircraft. The Indian Air Force today also has the same two helicopters for training, the Chetak and the Cheetah, the Alouette. The Alouette is the one which we train on. So at the helicopter training school in Hakimpet in Hyderabad, we trained on the Chetak helicopter uh, for uh, for six months, and thereafter uh, we were posted to our operational units. where we also continued our training to become fully operational uh, that was on the cheetak and cheetah both so i used to fly both these machines initially and they were those uh, the cheetah of course the lama was the high altitude machine so all my high altitude flying that i got was after i reached my first operational squadron and uh, from there i went on i used to just love going into the hills and flying at 20000 22000 feet wow. and taking the aircraft to its limits you know we were flying the aircraft really to the limits and really enjoying it so can you talk us through some of the ground training because it must have been a lot to take in as a helicopter pilot so like how did that work for you and did you find it an easy process what uh, the first part of the um, uh, when we t- trained on to fixed wing initially we did about 205 hours on fixed wing aircraft at the uh, air force academy mm-hmm. so that's also near hyderabad and over there we had to fly the fixed wing so we flew the kiran aircraft first that is the hindustan jet trainer mm-hmm. we flew that for 6 months and after 6 months i went on to a polish aircraft called the iskara ts11 yes oh, that's a beautiful aircraft that's yes. a really really beautiful aircraft and it was it was uh, like a fighter it was like a fighter that tandem seating so we flew that so having learned fixed wing flying for 205 hours now you have to get on to rotary wing which is completely different completely different as far as all the aerodynamics goes and all everything else goes so our training starts afresh and we have to actually unlearn a few things uh, on of, about fixed wing flying mm-hmm. when you get on to helicopters mm-hmm. and as far as ground training is concerned every time i have got posted to a new unit i have changed an aeroplane so every time i have had to go through a huge <laughs> set of ground training that happens for 2 3 months and get used to the uh, new systems because you know um, the chetak cheetah french class so the french have their own way of um, the, the yes. instrumentation everything is in psi something is in kgs those kind of things whereas when you go to russian systems they are in kilometers per hour and you know things change mm-hmm. things change in russian aircraft 
so one has to kind of get used to all the terminologies the different uh, different types of systems that each aircraft uses so it was it was fun uh, it was not very difficult uh, one could once you learn to fly the helicopter it's very easy to change over from one to the other unless of course you take some bad habits from the other good habits from the other aircraft which are bad on the on the other right, for example yeah. there's a throttle there's a throttle in the mi8 and the mi17 which turns clockwise if you go on to the french helicopters it turns to turn the throttle uh, open it turns anti clockwise <laughs> right so there can be an habit interference you know and there yeah. have been crashes to this uh, wow. one of the french aircraft crashed at high altitude because the on instinct the captain you know tried to open throttle it was actually closing throttle yeah, that's a bit crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, counterintuitive if you go from one type to the other. Um, but let's talk a bit about your flying training. And I want to he uh, hear about the, uh, your first time hovering an, uh, a helicopter, because that must have been a wow moment. Oh, first time, it's like riding a cycle. You know, you just can't get the aircraft to stay at one place. And the aircraft, the instructor keeps looking at you and smiling. He says, okay, over, the, over this point. And so you're going all over the place. People go 500 meters ahead and 500 meters back and <laughs> they just can't control the damn machine. That's because it is so sensitive. It's so sensitive that you want to get very, very light on controls to control the helicopter where you want it to be. In fact, it, we used to call it thought control. You, you think that you want to go forward, it starts going forward. You think that you want to go back, it starts wow. going back. It's that sensitive, you know. So, so learning to hover is the most, most difficult part of changing over from fixed wing to uh, rotary wing because that is that is the actually even that is how you get back the aircraft safely and take off safely because mm -hmm. you have to hover first to uh, and hover in different conditions strong winds from the right from the left from the rear so you got to get used to all these kind of things and every time you hover it's a different experience so once you get the hover right it's, it's a piece of cake it's like flying any other uh, other machine and did you get like a patch or anything for your first time hovering or anything like that when you landed? Well, uh, there's a the, uh, we have a little um, you know system out there where when you do your first solo and you get back, you're supposed to give a crate of rum to the ground mm. crew who have uh, you know it's a tradition out there that uh, once you really? finish with your first solo, you call everybody and you know give a crate of uh, rum to them so that they can have a drink on your name in the evenings or uh, whatever they plan to do so so that that kind of yes we have that and i was one of the first ones uh, to go solo in fact in my course I was the first one so everybody was there on top of the air, air traffic control building and they were watching me land and when i came out of the aircraft I left, left i was feeling like a hero you know walking with my helmet down <laughs> <laughs> that's yes. brilliant so I, remember that. I remember each each day of my flying career actually so 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 clearly wow that's brilliant yeah and uh, yeah, can you talk us through uh, your first frontline aircraft and what squadron you were based with? My first squadron was um, a 111, triple one helicopter unit at Bareilly. Uh, Bareilly is in Uttar Pradesh and that is where we do all the hill flying towards the Himalayas. So, uh, so that was my first unit and I stayed there for uh, two years. Um, that is where we actually are groomed as pilots as well as officers mm. as well as gentlemen and everything that the initial grooming with our seniors takes place in the first unit and you never forget your first unit actually it's 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 like the first flight commander the kind of the way he taught us what to do the you know little little things that he told us they were they, they, they're still with us 
and whenever we meet him, he always says, "Oh, you used to get lost in the hills." I remember, you know, that. But that bonding still exists with our first flight commander. The rest of the flight commanders, maybe no, <laughs> but the first flight commander was like a father to us. So yes. he taught us everything about flying, about behavior, about in the cockpit, out of the cockpit, everything. And in fact, this guy was amazing. He used to go and tell us to sit with the ground crew on top of the helicopter when the servicing was going on, so that we could learn about the helicopter, Brilliant. what, what, what the other guys also, what they do to make us fly safely. So that that bonding that developed was fantastic. Yeah, I think that's great. Is like there's no separation between ground crew and air crew. You, you mingle in and you know and you learn as a team. I like I like that attitude. That's great. Um, but I think uh, were you at this time your first squadron? Were you on the Mi Eight? No, no, no. I was on the Chetak uh, and the oh, Cheetah. Uh, yeah, I told you. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, I was flying the Chetak and Cheetahs. After two years there, I was moved on to fly the Mi Eights and the Mi Seventeens. So then I moved on to the northeast sector, uh, the farthest. Uh, airfield uh, in India, so we used to fly in the northeastern region again hill flying. But this was a 13-ton helicopter, <laughs> massive with an autopilot, with a set of wow. four crew with you, and uh, the you know it, we used to carry loads for the army. Basically, it was more to do with air maintenance. I don't know whether this this term is uh, used in in the other air forces, but we call it air maintenance, where we used to take. Um, Everything that a, uh, the soldier requires up in the hills, where there is no road connectivity. So northeast was bad in those times, where there was no, there were no roads. Mm -hmm. There was the troops were deployed all along the border with China. So we had to take everything from their ammunition to their pani, uh, to their water, and everything else uh, uh, to the forward posts. So we used to go there with four tons of load, drop it either by parachute or by landing and then come back and keep continuing this over and over days over uh, over and over again in the entire sector and yeah i want to talk about the uh, my eight and 17 uh, and I'm, I'm interested to know why uh, the indian air force picked the russian types rather than the western types for this kind of role uh, for that helicopter role i do believe that in those times the russia india you know the, mm. the cooperation and the political connection they, you know, we had, we were always with the Russians in those times. The Americans were actually not with us uh, in those times. So all the help, the military hardware was coming from Russia. Mm -hmm. So and of course, we used to call them the banana deals. Uh, if you remember, they were yes. all banana deals. The Russians were uh, actually bartering uh, because yes. they didn't have things which we they wanted from us. So uh, they were actually banana deals at pretty cheap costs. The aircraft came in. And with the transfer of technology also, so our um, you know our base repair depots they started uh, doing the high-end servicing of the, the fourth line servicing as as it is called uh, at in India itself to you know the time between overalls they started doing it in India itself very soon. So the MiAt actually was the backbone of the Indian Air Force in those times. It had very underpowered engines, uh, especially at uh, altitudes. At sea level, it was okay. And it would barely about carry, the, the tonnage was the same as the Mi-17, but it could barely carry 100, 200, 500 kgs at altitudes, you know. Oh, so wow. it, was, it, was, it, it was not being utilized in the, uh, to its capacity because of the engine problem. Then we got the Mi-17s, and the Mi-17s had much, much more powerful engines. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it could carry its, in the full load that it could. So the, the capacity to, you know, uh, furnish our troops up ahead increased when the Mi-17s came in. But there was a flip side to it. 
The flip side was that when you fly an aircraft which is under part, you fly it like a baby. Yes. You don't you treat it well. You treat yes. it very well. You don't take any risks. You don't take any chances when your approach and landings are all very smooth. Whereas when you come to a brute of an aircraft like a Mi-17, the engines which can hover anywhere, so over there you you're not bothered whether the RPM is going to go down or not. It never it, it just doesn't shift. So that 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 is the difference. So some some good habits that we carried from Mi-8s, we took them to the Mi-17 and we treated the Mi-17 as if it was a Mi-8. So it was a good thing that happened. But yes. for somebody who moved from Mi-17s to Mi-8, he had to actually unlearn a few things and fly the. It was the same machine. It was the feeling was the same, but to handle the underpowered aircraft was was a challenge. Yeah, it sounds like it. And how many crews were uh, at like a stand on a standard flight? Was it pilot, co-pilot, and a guy in the back? Pilot, co-pilot, an engineer sits in between. The engineer monitors the engine parameters. And he also monitors the autopilot. He uh, handles the autopilot, right? Mm. Uh, and uh, there's a gunner at the back. We call him the flight gunner. But the flight gunner looks after the crew compartment at the back. Mm. Basically, when the when the aircraft is opened at the rear for the drop sorties and all, he's the guy who is on intercom with us, and we tell them five, four, three, two, one, and the load goes out. You know, or the parachutes go out. So he's the guy who coordinates all the happenings inside the cabin. Mm -hmm. And obviously, because uh, um, did you have to like um, use and wear Russian kit as well? Because I've seen like obviously you uh, guys have the Jags as well, and you kind of wore British stuff. But uh, or did you have to like have everything from Russia in terms of kit, helmets, all that kind of stuff? Absolutely, absolutely. Everything was Russian in the Russian helicopters. There's no compatibility. There's no compatibility with the other aircraft. So if I have a headset like you're wearing a headset which can be plugged in onto any system. The Russian headset could not be plugged, uh, plugged into a French system or a British system. It had a different uh, uh, different kind of, a, you know, male and a female plug. But, you know, besides that, of course, uh, uh, the the aircraft itself, I mean, the uh, rest of the things that we wore was the same, were the same, but uh, the aircraft per se was I mean, it was completely different than what we were uh, the uh, the British aircraft that we we, we had flown. Mm -hmm. So um, the feeling was different. The 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 rotate the uh, it was there were free turbines. We were flying you know direct turbines earlier. This they were, these were free turbines. So there, there were differences. Yes, and of course the main thing oh, I forgot uh, everything was written in Russian. Yes, I was just <laughs> about to say yeah yeah. So everything was Russian. So one had to learn a little bit of Russian, and then of course we had those little. Uh, tapes on which the Indian, I mean the English uh, version was given and it was stuck onto that. One more interesting thing that comes to mind is uh, about the manuals. The manuals which came from Russia were in Russian and they were so poorly interpreted and they were so poorly, you know, kind of uh, made into English that a large number of things were lost in this translation. Wow. So one had to actually uh, some people who knew Russian a little bit, they had to go into the Russian books and find out some, you know, good things about the aircraft. Which I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example when we come to the uh, flying the Mi-35. You know, I'll give you an example where there, what it was that Russians don't give anything in English in those times. They were, they were not giving any manuals in English in those times. So we had to translate them and then use those manuals. Wow. Yeah, that seems very odd for aviation because I, I, you, you would think everything's kind of like in English or whatever, everything. But like that seems very 
like a scary thing for an Air Force. But uh, as you say, we'll get onto that later. But uh, can you share maybe a couple of memorable stories from your time in uh, My 8 and 17 that you can share with our viewers? The Me 8 and Me 17, well, like I told you, were the backbone of the, uh, uh, the Air Force. And while flying those machines, there was never a dull moment, there was never a dull day. <laughs> because there was something or the other which was happening somewhere, a train accident somewhere, some flood somewhere, some, some you know, emergency rations to be supplied somewhere, some uh, large number of people to be evacuated from somewhere. So the, at a drop of a hat, in the evening you would come, you would you'll be told that you have to go 400 kilometers away next day and operate there for the next 15-20 uh, days. So our bags were always ready. Our bags were always ready for a 10 to 15 day trip, always ready on our sites. And you could get a call at midnight and say okay, next morning at first light, get airborne. So th those are very, very exciting times. You didn't know what, what was going to happen the next day. So it was, it was nice. It was fun. And other than that, of course, uh, flying the Mi-17, um, uh, we learned how to fly, fly in bad weather. We were, uh, you know, in Chetak Chita, we don't get into weather. But in that aircraft, one could negotiate a fair amount of weather. And it was uh, to, for a helicopter pilot to get into clouds, whatever systems you may have, whatever system you, you have got the state of the art systems today. But to get into clouds, even uh, the airliners also don't get into heavy clouds, you know, they try yes. to avoid it as much as possible. So to get into a cloud is quite scary for a helicopter pilot because you are, as it is moving in all planes all the time, and when you get into the cloud, everything goes for a toss. Your entire you know, gyros, yes. as they say, your gyros just topple, just topple. So flying the Mi-17 in bad weather, in rain, in, in clouds was quite a challenge. And that was what we learned. Uh, we learned to rely on our instruments. We learned how to fly accurately. So those kind of things, yes, uh, the Mi-17 taught us a lot of uh, good things. And of course, one good uh, thing that I flew, a uh, very interesting thing that I flew was to go to the oil rigs from Bombay. I was posted in Bombay uh, as a Mi-8 pilot and the Mi-8 in, uh, in, at sea level was good. So we used to carry uh, all the fuel inside, whatever we could, uh, an additional tank inside the aeroplane and we used to carry full loads and we used to go and land on a match, you know, matchbox size helipad which was not even uh, <laughs> a, a, a helipad which is not even fit for a Chetar Cheetah, 15 by 15 meters. Ooh. And the rotors almost touching the, you know, the poles on the left yes, and right. Yes. So there was just, just enough clearances from the, from the side, and to land a Mi-8 with less uh, the power in it, with the hot air of the, uh, of the turbines of the uh, oil rig coming into you, oh, it is, it is quite an experience. It's quite an experience. <laughs> and sounds it. And if you don't handle the aircraft in the last phases of of the flight correctly, you're bound to make one plonk yourself at the wrong place so one had to be very very careful and it taught us a lot of things about being calm and collected during the landing phase at least mm -hmm.